Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? <laughs> Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620 to talk on the show. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. That is the new, that's the new show open. Well, I, I love it. I love it. We'll be kind of tweaking it as time goes on. Uh, I'm Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. All right. It, it, this is, I, I want to bring a smile to your day. And this video is floating around. The Journal Sentinel's website has it. The Janesville Gazette is where it really originated from. But if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 This is worth following me for because it is a video that I guarantee you, especially since all's well that ends well, will bring a smile to your face. You just kind of shake your head. But I, I need to I need to get in the mood because I, I want to – this video takes place at the Rock County Sheriff's Department. So we're talking about Janesville. But I, but I want to get in the mood for going out to this particular law enforcement agency. Yes, you might think that we are in the town of Mayberry, where you've got the, the jail, and you've got Andy, and you've got Barney, and you've got Otis, like the town drunk, who would be able to wander in and just, like, let himself in and out of the jail with keys. Well, Rock County, apparently it's not too much different than that. And here is the story, and I will guarantee you it is one of the funniest videos, again, since all's well that ends well, you will ever see. Story involved, and this, by the way, is getting international attention. The story involves a 17-year-old guy. His name is Quantrell Schwartzelow of Orfordville. All right, he is charged with felonies stemming from an August incident. This is last August. He's charged with strangulation and suffocation. Right, so this is these are both felonies. This is a big time deal. All right, he ends up apparently getting arrested on October eighteenth at Orfordville Parkview High School. So they go out and they arrest this guy on on felony charges. They bring him in to the Rock County Sheriff's Office, and what they're going to do is they're apparently going to interview him. All right, so that's the whole idea here. This is all captured on the video. A sheriff's deputy walks him into an interview room. And I'm looking at the thing with the interview room. It's got a table. It's got a couple chairs. He is handcuffed. This would be the bad guy who's charged with strangulation and suffocation. He's handcuffed with his hands in front of him. Right. The deputy brings him into this room and then leaves. The deputy is gone for 14 minutes. <laughs> 14 minutes. Well, it, it wouldn't have mattered if he was gone for 10 minutes or five minutes because you see this on the video. As soon, literally, as soon as the deputy leaves the room and shuts the door of the interview room, the kid who's charged with suffocation and strangulation turns around the, the windows on this interrogation room. They're, they're like the windows you have at your house. 
there's blinds, and then there's like a screen. The kid raises the window. There's no bars. There's no nothing. It's not a secure facility. He raises the windows and jumps out. He jumps out. It's a first floor, first or maybe second floor. He jumps out. He's not in there but 15 seconds, and he jumps out. All right, so then you see that it's empty. Then they've got another video. They've got another video, and it's, it's all attached to what I've sent out on my on, on Twitter. It's of the, the overall parking lot at the sheriff's department. You see the kid running across the parking lot. I mean, he takes off like a bat out of you-know-where. All right, so he, he's gone. 14 minutes later, and this is captured on the video as well, 14 minutes later, the sheriff's deputy, who is responsible for him, comes back in. <laughs> and you can just see he opens the door, and I, I'm not exactly a lip reader, but the sheriff's deputy kind of says, oh, what the, fill in the blank. Kid is gone. 30 seconds after he, he's there, he's out the window. Honest to goodness. I mean, I, I tell you something, it looks like something from the Andy Griffith show. I think it would have taken Otis more efforts to bust out of the, the jail in Mayberry than it did for this kid who is charged with felonies to get out of the sheriff's department. And then run, and again, he runs away. Now, I say all's well that ends well because apparently they caught him three and a half hours later um at a at a friend of his house in in janesville so i mean it it is kind of like one of these things where where was he ultimately going to go but but this is what passes for security in rock county well what happened is after the word got out they then realized huh maybe it's not such a good idea to put people who are charged with felonies in unsecure interview rooms and then leave them for like 15 minutes. Maybe some bad stuff can happen, like the kid could open the window. And by the way, this isn't, if you watch this video, it's not like he's wrestling with the window. It's not like he just pulls open the window, jumps out, and runs away. Um, So now apparently they have decided that what they're going to do is they're going to put bars on the windows, which might have been a good idea, perhaps in the first place. If you're going to be using these rooms to detain people that are charged with felonies, maybe maybe they should be secure in some sort of fashion. Now, here's my favorite part. I don't mean to pick on the Rock County Sheriff's Department too much, except, come on, give me a break. I mean, it's, they, they do an administrative investigation of this, and they find that there, this is my favorite line, Only the windows were found at fault, not the procedures the sheriff's office uses. Only the windows. We're going to blame the windows. Well, here's the message for the Rock County Sheriff. Hey, you know, maybe there should be some degree of accountability. The windows, we're going to blame the windows. No, maybe you should look at your procedures in the first place, like leaving a guy that's charged with multiple felonies in a room that is not secure where you've got the windows that are able to be opened by simply pulling them up. Maybe that is a procedure that is at fault. Maybe leaving somebody in this category alone for 12 or 13 or 14 or 15 minutes in an unsecured interview room, maybe that... Now, Gru, you just saw this. This is hysterical. It's one of the funniest videos I've seen. Again, they caught him, so all is well that ends well. But I, I love it. The Rock County Sheriff's Department, their approach is, well... We've done a review, and, and there's no problem with our procedures. It's just the, the windows that were to blame. Well, okay, you, you took a felon, you left him in an unsecured room for 15 minutes where the windows could be opened up. 
maybe again, like I say, maybe maybe you need to go to Mayberry to get some ideas as to security. Now they say it's never going to happen again, but I will tell you, this this video, this is going to be making international circuits, and and you know. You know that at least temporarily, the folks in Rock County at the Sheriff's Department, they're going to kind of be the laughing stock of maybe the world for this particular situation. Check it out. Uh, again, the, the video is floating around. Um, the Journal Sentinel's website has it. The Janesville Gazette has the best version of it. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. You will, you will see, and we could have the show poll. All right. Andy and where if you're looking to escape, where would you rather be in custody? Andy and Barney's jail or the Rock County Sheriff's Department? I don't know. I think it's pretty much of a push. Twelve seventeen, Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. That, that was that's that's the sheriff walking in for the deputy sheriff walking in 15 minutes later after the kid has jumped out of the window. Somebody sends me a tweet. Lay off the cops. You know, it's the criminal that's responsible. Well, yes and no. <laughs> I mean, yes, yes and no. If you catch a criminal, you know, maybe you want to at least make sure that he stays there. And, and maybe one way to do it is not leaving somebody unattended for 15 minutes in an interview room where you can just pull the window open and jump out. Now, I'm. Yeah, that's a, that's definitely Rock County's Andy of Mayberry moment. And uh, if you follow me again, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 on, on Twitter. I've got the link to the story. All right, let us switch gears. There, um, if you ever wonder why it is important for businesses to have headquarters in a particular area and why it is oftentimes devastating to the area when businesses close or move. This is a story that that emphasizes that. When businesses have their headquarters in a particular area, what that generally means is that the, the top executives at the company, they're going to live in the area. They are going to be invested in the community. I mean, and look, and it's possible, for example, to to be a good corporate citizen if you don't have your headquarters in a particular area. You can have a business that has its headquarters in Cincinnati that has, you know, a subsidiary or that, that has a presence, for example, in Milwaukee. And that doesn't mean they're not going to care about Milwaukee. But what it means is if all the people, the movers and shakers, the bosses, if they're in Cincinnati, for example, they are going to have a deeper connection. They're going to be dug into the community where they are living. That's just the way it almost always works. And, you know, we've seen this play out in a number of a number of different situations over the last couple decades here in Milwaukee. You've had certain businesses that have been a huge part of this community that have that were local that that have closed down or or moved out or whatever. I mean, you saw this with uh, again, Schlitz. You saw it with Pabst. You saw it with Miller. Now, I understand there's got Miller Coors, and they still brew Miller beer here in Milwaukee, but you know, the corporate headquarters aren't here. That makes a difference. Remember back in the day, you had um, Marshall and Illesley Bank, M&I Bank. They got taken over by BMO Harris, which is out of Toronto. So the corporate headquarters for that bank, it's no longer here. Now, that's not saying BMO Harris doesn't have a presence and doesn't care about the community, but it's different 
than when you're based out of Toronto than it is when the people who are making the decisions about all the corporate involvement and the business community, it's different when they're living here. And you saw another example of that when uh, U.S. Bank, which was First Bank and then it was First Star and um, first it was First Wisconsin, then it was you know First Star and then it was U.S. Bank, U.S. Bank, which used to have its headquarters in Milwaukee, now is based out of Minnesota. Now, again, that's not saying that U.S. Bank isn't going to have a huge presence and doesn't do things for the community. But they're no longer based here, which changes the dynamic dramatically. Now, I bring this up because over the last several years, you've seen things that used to be well, I'd say Milwaukee institutions, southeastern Wisconsin institutions that have, have come and gone. Some come and go because they, they've run their course. Let me give you a couple examples. The Great Circus Parade. All right, the Great Circus Parade ran, and this was a big deal. If you lived in Milwaukee, it, it happened in the middle of the summer um, from 1980 to 2005. They had the Great Circus Parade, and especially in the beginning, you would have tens of thousands of people that would flock down to Milwaukee, downtown Milwaukee on Sunday to watch the Great Circus Parade. Well, it kind of ran its course, and so in 2005, it stopped as an annual thing. They brought it back once in 2009, and now the Great Circus Parade is, is confined to history. You had a golf tournament, a PGA golf tournament. It For longest time, I think most people know it as the GMO, the Greater Milwaukee Open. It then became the U.S. Bank Open, but it ran from 1968 to 2009, and essentially it faded for lack of interest. Uh, the, the folks at U.S. Bank put a bunch of money into promoting it, but it rarely was able to get the top-tier golfers. They didn't come to Milwaukee, a couple exceptions, but People just didn't show up, and ultimately they pulled out corporate sponsorship, and it faded. So the circus parade's gone. You have the the golf tournament that's gone. Uh, there's all sorts of other examples of this as well. In the case of the circus parade and the golf tournament, you can make the argument that it's kind of run its course. Well, I don't know about the lakefront fireworks. And here's the story that the Journal Sentinel had. The July 3rd lakefront fireworks, and if you are new to this area, for as long as I can remember, they have had a huge fireworks display at the lakefront. I mean, this goes back to when I was a kid. I mean, I remember this. It's been at the lakefront, and you get tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people that flock to the lakefront to see the fireworks display at the lakefront on July 3rd. Then there's fireworks displays in local parks on July 4th. Here's the story as reported by the Journal Sentinel. The annual July 3rd fireworks show at Veterans Park, which has been going on for nearly 40 years, might not take place this year unless the county can find a sponsor for the event within the next month. When Milwaukee County Parks hosted the July 3rd at Veterans Park, it's sponsored by U.S. Bank. It costs about three hundred and fifty grand to put on this particular show. U.S. Bank, which is not locally based anymore, their headquarters are in Minnesota, and I, I don't fault them for this, but they announced uh, last year that they were done after last year. They weren't going to sponsor the fireworks show anymore, and so far, no business has stepped up to come up with $350,000 to become the, the participating sponsor. So now you've got this deal where, where time is time is running out, 
And $350,000 is a lot of money. You don't have as many businesses as you used to that have the headquarters in Milwaukee. And unless either a business steps up or a series of business step up and they come up with three hundred fifty grand or thereabouts, or the county decides we're going to take this over and you know we're going to come up with three hundred fifty grand, which it seems to me is pretty much of a non-starter, the July 3rd fireworks may be over. 414-799-1620, that is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What would the loss of the July 3rd fireworks do to this community? Like I said earlier, the circus parade, you can argue maybe it had run its course. The Greater Milwaukee Open, maybe it had run its course. How important are the July 3rd fireworks to the local community? And what's going to happen if a business does not step up? Would you miss the fireworks and how much? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, hold on. 1227. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. Melissa in Wauwatosa. Melissa, good afternoon. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Okay, there looks like a very real chance that the July 3rd fireworks, which have been going on for 40 years, that they may disappear because U.S. Bank says they're not going to come up with the three hundred fifty grand to fund them. Would you miss them? Yes, I would be very sad. I think it would be sad for the community and devastating. I have been going since I was a little girl with my family. Um, we made a tradition out of it. We went every year, went early, brought food. Um, and now I take my little girl, so I would be very sad. You know, I have this image. I mean, every year, one of my standard topics is how early should you be able to get to, to Veterans Park and set up the tents and stuff. And, I mean, there's always hundreds and hundreds of families who get there even the night before. They do the camping out and all that stuff just to secure the spot to watch it. I mean, I guess I don't think the lakefront fireworks have have run their course. I think there's still incredible interest in them. No, I totally agree. Um, you know, my sister and her family moved away, but they fly in every year still to come see them. Um, it's been a big, big part of our lives, so I think it'd be very sad for the community and for myself. Okay, let me ask you the tough question. All right, so let's say that they can't find another three hundred fifty grand is a lot of money. Let's say that they can't find another business to step up. Should the county pick up the tab? Should the taxpayers pick up the tab for doing this? We may not be happy to do that, but I would be willing to do it. <laughs> okay. All right. No, thanks. I mean, see that. I mean, that's that. That's that is the. I was going to say it's the sixty-four thousand dollar question. It's actually the three hundred and fifty thousand dollar question. And this is, this is a, it's a, it's an issue that goes beyond the July third fireworks. Now, keep in mind, in Milwaukee County, you've got a county that is. I don't know if it's fair to say it's broke, but it's financially strapped. You've got all the problems that go back to the pension pension scandal 15, 16 years ago. You've got a courthouse, a safety building that you know needs to be completely and totally rebuilt. We have this ongoing battle about what do you do with the domes that, that can't continue to exist unless you have a huge influx of money. Um, can can you afford three hundred and fifty grand a year to put on the fireworks if some business doesn't step up and do it? Ron in Oak Creek. Ron, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Ron. How are you doing there? Thanks Good. for taking my call. Sure. Yeah, um, I guess, you know, I'm not into the fireworks. I did see them when I was a kid, you know, real young, but right. uh, it's not a big deal to me if they go or stay. But I know a lot of people do really love it. And I think a great idea would be for them to have a fundraiser on the Internet, like, a, you know, I fund the thing. Like a GoFundMe thing or something? Yeah. I see, like, 
Okay, like, um, like yeah, but 300, 350 grand is a lot of money. Not <laughs> you know? really, not really, Jeff. If you think about it, there's at least fifty thousand, hundred thousand people down there, right? Everybody throws in five, seven, between five and seven dollars a piece mm-hmm. with the Packers. Look, you could do a setup where Jeff, where we could have flyer, a banner, to get in early. You do your tent setup if you say pay ten dollars, right? To do it, well, uh, if you, if you uh, do a uh, the buck or two, then you get a little pay, a little a little sticker, then you could get down there. Um, Watch. Yeah, I guess. I mean, now, now I do know. Now, thanks to call Ryan. I, I do know that there there are there are different fireworks organizations all across the state, and you know they they that used to things that used to be put on by like a Kiwanis Club or a Lions Club or whatever, and that just that they became cash strapped. So what they've done is they've again solicited donations and they've done a GoFundMe campaign or something like that to to try to pay for them. In some cases it, it's worked. I'm not against that, but I mean three hundred and fifty grand, that's a lot of money. I mean that's that's a lot of money to try to raise. And I'm just I guess I'm not sure that you could just do that I'm not sure you could, as a practical matter, get $350,000 in donations, especially in a sustainable sort of way. It seems to me, as a practical matter, if this is going to happen, you're going to need some other company to, you know, to, to step up. And I don't know where that company would would be. I mean, you know, you've got Northwestern Mutual. I don't know, maybe they would see a value because they're located right in downtown Milwaukee. But you've had American Family. I mean, Miller, look, Miller corporate headquarters aren't in Milwaukee anymore. Miller passed on the rights to continue the naming rights to Miller Park. Now, American Family, to their credit, you know, stepped in. Uh, but but Miller Miller wanted out. They they did not want to you know pay the money to do that anymore. So I don't know that you go and look for Miller to be able to do that. You know Foxconn. Who knows where Foxconn is? You know would you miss these things if they were gone? Tom in Greenfield. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, uh, Jeff, I would. And you know what? I think uh, with three hundred fifty thousand dollars, we 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 what you call the word get rid of that. Uh, use that all the time of. of stupid other ideas and stuff, but if you lose the fireworks, are we going to lose the festivals at Summerfest, uh, grounds and stuff like that, Bastille Days and some of the other stuff starts slipping away, and before you know it, we'll have Pfizer Arena downtown, but we won't have no festivals and no other things for people to go to. Well, I mean, thanks for the call, Tommy. See, but, but here, I mean, see, and here's the, the, the issue with that. Like I said, as I started this segment, things run their course. You know, for, for years and years, the circus parade was the hottest thing in the world, and then people kind of got bored with it. No offense to people who organized the circus parade, but attendance dropped dramatically, and finally it died because of lack of interest. The same thing was definitely true of the golf tournament, Greater Milwaukee Open or later on the U.S. Bank Open. My sense is that people aren't tired of the lakefront fireworks, and it's still something that I think people view as something that's great in the community. Although I will tell you honestly, as I used to always go, and I don't remember the last time that I went. I, I religiously go to the Fourth of July fireworks in you know one of the local parks. I've been doing that since I was a kid. But at the same time, while I go to the lakefront fireworks occasionally, the parking and the crowds. As I get a little bit older, I develop less of a tolerance for it. But I, I mean, I still think it's, it's very, very viable. Look, here, here's the bottom line of all this. I think unless a corporation. And there's not that many corporations who can just write a check for 350 grand. Unless a corporation steps up and steps up soon, 
what you're going to see is you're going to see these fireworks go away. And my prediction is once they go away, they're probably not coming back. So this is kind of a gut check time for the business community. Now, the city of Milwaukee and Milwaukee County have been handing out all sorts of, you know, sugar plums. They've been handling out all sorts of sweeteners to different businesses throughout the community to get them to to stay and to build, and we're going to give you this tax incentive or that tax incentive. This might be one of those occasions where Tom Barrett or or Chris Abley, you know, sits down and says, look, I think these 3rd of July fireworks are something that are important for the community, and maybe, Mr. Business Person, it's time for you to step up. But, again, the biggest story of this, and really the, the unwritten story is, once businesses leave, and I don't mean to pick on U.S. Bank, but once businesses move their corporate headquarters from, for example, Milwaukee, there isn't that connection with the area anymore. And you're not the executives, the owners, they're not living in the area. So it's tougher to go to them and say, hey, we want you to have th- this money. That's why keeping corporate headquarters are a very big deal. Do I think the 3rd of July fireworks are going to stay? I think it's about 50 50. I, I, I really do. But time is running out because they need 350 grand, they need it by April 1st. And that means somebody's going to have to step up big time. I think it's about 50-50. And I will tell you, if they go away, they're not coming back. And I think they will be missed. It's 1244. 1246. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I, um... It is interesting. A number of people are suggesting area businesses that could step up. Well, Potawatomi, it is interesting. Potawatomi was able to come up with, what, a million bucks or something to subsidize free rides on Tom's trolley. I don't know. What 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 would be better, free rides on the trolley or underwriting the fireworks display on July 3rd? What would be better for the community? Now, don't answer that question. It's too easy. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Chances are you have seen the video by now. Former Packers coach Mike McCarthy, he has a stepson who is a high school basketball player. This happened Tuesday night at Pulaski High School. It was a game between Green Bay, Notre Dame, and Pulaski. McCarthy, like I said, he he lives in the area still. His stepson is a sophomore guard for Green Bay Notre Dame. And apparently it's a game Notre Dame loses by one point, 67 to 66. What you and you can you can't hear the video that you can't hear the audio, but you can see this on the video. McCarthy, who's a big guy, he he's sitting in the stands, and it's a high school basketball game. So you're actually you're, you're like in bleachers. The game ends. You have three referees who are walking off. They're off the court, and they're going like next to the stands just to go back to the locker room or get out or whatever. McCarthy, and you see this on the video. He gets up, he comes down from the stands, and he starts following. The, the referees, they're getting off the court. You can't hear the video, but apparently um, it is as described. He is, it is an expletive, that means bad words, expletive-laden complaint at the referees. So he's cursing at these high school basketball referees. And you can see in the video, at one point in time, one of the referees turns and, and, and says something to him, and he says something back, and then he kind of flings his coat, and then he heads off the other direction. Uh, they 
they have filed a, a complaint about McCarthy's behavior with the WIAA. And uh, the latest report is that apparently McCarthy has issued an apology for his behavior. McCarthy contacted Notre Dame officials yesterday to apologize for the incident. Now, they're they're still going to have to answer. What happens is when the officials file a complaint like this, the WIAA investigates. They'll send a statement. They'll ask you know the the team in this case Green Bay Notre Dame what their reaction was. But but it appears that McCarthy, by any stretch of the imagination, was was out of line. Now I attend. Actually, I, I attend a lot of not high school sporting events, but I attend a lot of 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 kids sporting events. My Nephew, who is 11, Alex will be 12 um, in a week. He he plays soccer. He plays basketball. I go to a number of those games. My 12-year-old grandson, he plays football. I go to those games. Uh, my 15-year-old granddaughter, she's a pretty darn good volleyball player, and I, I go to some of those games. So I sit in the stands with parents, and I, I, I see all sorts of behavior. I, I hear... I hear the leather-lunged parents who are kind of like screaming. I hear the parents who have played the particular sport and think they know more than the coaches. No, move over a little bit, serve it to the left, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. And you're like, okay, come on. And I mean, and I've seen parents, you, especially if you go to some of these club-level games and you see, so you're sitting, parents from both teams are there and you can kind of watch th- this interaction. I, I think, and, and maybe you will disagree with me, I think a lot, I think sometimes the bad behavior is overblown because my general experience is that most of the people in the stands have this in perspective and they recognize it's youth sports and you want your kid to do well, but at the same time you you recognize that your kid's not going to the NBA or is not going to be you know, in the English Premier League soccer or whatever. There are, however, always a few parents who, I mean, kind of cross that line, and for whatever reasons, they just they just can't lighten up. I will also say that from time to time, just objectively speaking, you you see these these officials that you know make bad calls from time to time because in general they're amateur, they're amateur officials. You know, they're not making very much money. All those different types of things, and you know nobody should berate them. Our number. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. This is obviously a very, very embarrassing situation for Mike McCarthy. And I am sure, I am sure that he feels really, really ashamed of, of what his behavior is. At the same time, I guess the question is, what do you do, if anything, with parents who do behave in this fashion? Should we be banning parents from games? Should, in a situation, I mean, take the fact that he's the former Packers coach, and so he's going to get a lot of scrutiny that maybe somebody else wouldn't get, but if you have that average parent who curses out the official or who you know crosses the line, whatever that line might be, should they be banned from attending games in the future? Would that make it a better environment. 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1252. This is Jeff Wagner, and this week's Home Improvement Spring Showcase is brought to you by Hometown Windows and Doors. That's Hometown with an E for your every window and door need. Like I say, I go to a lot of youth sporting events now, and I, I will tell you, in general, I think parents sometimes get a bad rap. I, I think 
most of the people that go to the games that I go to, I, I think most of them, are they invested in their kids' activities? Yes. Do they get disappointed when the kids don't play well or the team loses? Yes. But I don't see, as a general rule, kind of that out-of-control behavior that we're seeing. However, I do think that for whatever percentage of parents are the problems, you've got to have almost a zero-tolerance situation. And for, I mean, it's pretty clear to me that Mike McCarthy crossed wherever that line is. He crossed the line the other day, and I think he would probably tell you, here's what I think you have to have happen. I think you have to say, look, you know, I don't care what it is. I don't care whether it's girls' volleyball through the high school or Pop Warner League football or Little League or whatever. I think... Parents who misbehave, and I'm talking about, you know, really misbehave, and we can decide what that conduct's going to be, but you get one warning. And if you continue to do it after that one warning, boom, you're gone. I think that's what needs to happen because, candidly, when you've got the leather-lunged parent that's screaming at the teams or whatever, that that ruins it for everybody. I'd say one and then done. Dave and Grafton. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I, I agree with you. You know, these adults have to be held accountable. If a student left the gallery, left the stands, and followed refs and, and yelled at refs, that student would be held accountable by the staff. Or a player. And, and, I mean, or, or a player. If you had, like, a high school basketball player that followed the refs off the court and cursed at them, well, my guess is either the school or the WIA or the league or whatever, that kid wouldn't be playing for the balance of the year, I would guess. Absolutely, and we can't hold adults less accountable than what we're holding our children. You know, this happened in, in Waukesha um, last year where a young man – and his father, who was a coach, right. um, accosted referees in a uh, restaurant after a game. It's, and law enforcement had to get involved in that. It's it's just ridiculous. And we can't have um, lesser standards right. for behavior for adults than we do for our children. No, thanks. For, no, I, I agree with you completely. Now, like I say, that's why I, I do think... I do think that there should be a warning thing in, in place where you say, because sometimes I think people just, they, they just kind of lose it and they're, they're not thinking clearly or whatever. So I would say, again, now there, there could be exceptions to that. If you get into a physical altercation or something, you have somebody who takes a swing at a referee, well then, then forget the warning. I mean, if that's like that, you're, you're just gone. We don't want you at those games. Sorry, drop off your kid, you know, period. But I'm talking about, again, the verbal abuse, that type of situation, the obscenities or whatever. You know, people shouldn't be subjected to that. So I would say one warning. Tell them, you know, you violated our, our code of conduct. These are the rules. You don't berate the referee. You don't berate the coach. You don't berate the open, the other team members. You don't scream at your kid. That's what I hear sometimes. You know, you go to some of these events over the years and the, the worst, they're worst on their kids. They're shell out there, you know, yelling at their kids. Hey, you got to get over. You got to do that. That's some of the worst thing. I say you give them one warning and then if they violate it, they're done. Mike McCarthy, my guess is if he shows up at another game, he's not going to be cursing at the referees. At least I hope not. 1259, Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us again. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. We've got some good links to some very interesting stories, including one that I want to discuss with you now. If you are a regular listener to this program, you know that I am a... uh, I'm a huge dog lover. I, I just, I, I've got a three and a half year old uh, Pomeranian that is just, that is just the pride and joy of, of my life. I, I've never taken her on an airplane yet. 
Um, but th- there will be a time when we, we probably end up doing that, and I will expect that I will. I'm not. She's not going to travel in the hold, but I will. I will pay to have her fly, and I will have her in a container, and she will fit under the under the seat um, with me, or I'll buy a ticket for her. I mean, that's that's how I kind of feel about this. More and more people, though, nowadays, they don't want to do that. They don't want to pay to have their dog or cat or whatever fly with them. So there has been this, my opinion, there has been this sort of cottage industry that has developed that I think is nothing more than a scam involving emotional support animals. Now, I am not talking about service animals. I'm not talking about seeing-eye dogs or specifically trained animals like that. I am talking about emotional support animals. And let me give you an example. Last week, last Friday, we're coming back from Key West. We're flying, we flew Delta. Delta was great. Delta, it was Key West to Atlanta. You change planes, Atlanta to Milwaukee. So we're we're on our seats and we're in our seats and this woman comes walking down the aisle and she's got a, a mid-size dog in, in her arms. The dog isn't on a crate the dog is not a service animal. It's not like a seeing-eye dog or anything. You know, she's, she's holding the dog in her arms. And there's a woman in, in front of us who engages her. And I, I was kind of curious at the conversation. because, But the woman who's sitting in, front, sitting in front of us is the woman carrying the dog is coming down. Says, boy, I, I've, I love my dog. I'd love to take my dog on planes, but I, I just I, I don't want to pay for it. And the lady says, well, here, here's what you do. You just, it's really easy. You just get your dog to be considered an emotional support animal. I'm not making up this story. And then the husband of the woman who, or the guy that's accompanying the woman, I assume it was her husband, says, yeah, you, you can just go on the Internet. It's this form letter. You know, you can make a phone call somewhere. Somebody will fill it out, and then you're all set, and then you can take your dog for free. All right, so <laughs> they walk past, and the lady says, well, maybe I'll look into doing that. And I, I'm listening to this conversation, and I'm just... I, I'm shaking my head about this because I'm thinking, wait a second. I, I understand that that animals, pets, provide comfort. Nothing makes me happier than going home and, with the possible exception of being greeted with, you know, open arms by my beautiful wife. I mean, the, the fact that the, the dog. Ah, I, I'm home. The dog is always delighted to see me. She comes running up. She jumps on me. The dog loves to sit in my lap when I'm sitting in the living room watching TV or reading a book or doing work or whatever. And, and that does that make me feel good? It, it absolutely does. Is it comforting? Of course. That's what pets do for people. But at the same time, that doesn't necessarily mean to me that I think my pet should be able to fly free. So I, I it was very, very clear to me that this is... I was just watching this woman who was pulling an airline-authorized scam. I mean, the emotional support animal. Does it give her comfort to fly? Well, yeah, it, it does, but she's also flying for free with her pet, and now you have this pet that isn't in any sort of container. It's going to be sitting in her lap and maybe, again, under the under the seat, maybe, on this plane. And I'm thinking, okay, well, what happens if, what happens if the dog starts acting up? Because they are dogs. Sometimes that ends up happening. And this was really brought home the other day. There was a lawsuit filed two days ago. What, what happened is there's a little girl, and she was in the Portland airport waiting on a flight to Texas from Portland. Woman walks into the gate area. She's got a pit bull. All right? The pit bull is it's not in a cage. It, it is on it is on a leash. So she's got a pit bull, and she's apparently got this mimeographed 
letter that's from, you know, some doctor feel good somewhere that says, oh, the animal is an emotional support animal that she needs to fly. Well, so she's got this pit bull. It's not in a cage. It's not in a crate, nothing, in the, the waiting area. The little girl goes up, asks apparently the owner, can, can I pet the dog? And now, if you're a regular listener's program, you know how I feel about pit bulls. But let's put that one aside. Owner says, sure, pit bull mauls the little girl. Pitbull mauls the little girl. I'm looking at a picture right now. It's not a pretty sight. Bitter face. I mean, it's just ugly. So now the family has filed a lawsuit against the woman and against Alaska Airlines for allowing this this unrestrained, by unrestrained, I mean, the dog was on a leash, but this uncaged dog into the the whole area, which raises the question about, you know, this whole concept of emotional support animals. I don't know about you, and I understand that whenever I talk about pit bulls, people get upset about it, but I don't know about you, but I don't want to be sitting on an airplane next to some lady who brings an unrestrained pit bull that she's carrying around. I think this is an incredible scam, and I think it's time for the airlines to shut it down. It is one thing if you're talking about a service animal. I get it, the seeing-eye dogs or whatever. But this idea that, well, you need to have the dog with you to provide emotional support for you to fly. Well, if your psyche is so – and look, and I understand. Again, I get it. Dogs provide that type of thing. But if you can't fly without having that that dog with you, I guess, number one, I think you should have to pay for it. Number two, the dog should have to be caged and fit under the seat. Or number three, maybe that means you take a train or you drive. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is just the latest example of this kind of cottage industry that is developed, in my opinion, for people deciding they want to, you know, use they want to take their pets when they travel. So here, you know, let's not go through the hassle of buying tickets. Let's just have them declared emotional support animals because, well, gee, I, I want them with me. It helps calm me down when I fly. I think this whole practice should be discontinued. If you want to bring a dog on an airplane, I think you should have to pay for it. I think the dog should have to be restrained in a cage or a crate or whatever, and it should have to fit in front of the seat in front of you. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I'm sure maybe you've traveled, maybe you've seen this situation. Should people be able to bring pets onto these planes under the guise of emotional support animals. And how would you feel about, gee, there's a pit bull that's roaming around the, you know, gate area. Gee, there's a pit bull. And, I mean, I don't mean to pick on pit bulls. Any dog, you know, gee, the dog is now sitting next to me in the lap of the person who I am now crowded into economy coach with. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, do we need to put an end to this? And for those of you who travel and you see these people bringing on dogs, all right, a necessary thing to accommodate people because they get nervous or something that needs to stop. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
It's 119. Here's a text. Uh, any owner of a real service animal would not let you pet her dog. Otherwise, it's not a service animal. No. And in this particular case where the, the pit bull mauled the little girl, it wasn't a service animal. It was an emotional support animal. Woman's got what, what's ended up happening is, you know, they, there's this cottage industry that's out there. You can go on the Internet. You can send information into some doctor feel good in Phoenix, Arizona or Albuquerque, New Mexico or whatever. You can fill out a couple questions. You can then you know, give them your credit card for $75, and you get this letter saying you need you know, to have you know, fluffy travel with you. No, it's, it's not a service animal at all, and nobody's arguing that if you need a seeing eye dog or something, you should have it. I also understand that you know, animals provide comfort. I would argue that almost any animal is an emotional support animal. It provides you comfort, but that doesn't mean it should be flying on an airplane sitting in your lap. 414-799-1620, Jason in Maguanago. Hi, Jason. How are you doing, sir? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Well, you know, I think it's a blatant overreach of privilege. I don't think they need to get rid of it altogether because there is a very minute amount of the population that does benefit from these emotional support animals. I mean, there's autistic kids. Sure. And you know, there's people out there that do benefit from it. But on the flip side of that coin, you've got these nutbags coming out of the woodwork bringing emotional support peacocks and trying to get onto planes, and I'm not making that up. Right, or, or pot-bellied that. pigs. Right, I mean, that's one of the big things. Pot-bellied pigs or my emotional support snake or whatever. Right. And I hate to punish the, the people that actually do need it for the sake of those that do not, but something has to be done. And I don't know how you properly police it, but in the same way that some of these opiate derivative drugs have been outlawed, I personally know a handful of people that live with perpetual pain that, you know, now since some of these things have been, some of these substances have been outlawed, they're constantly miserable. And so they're being right. punished for the sake of those abusing. And similarly, you know, you, you take an 11-year-old kid that's bringing his puppy on the, on the, on the plane because otherwise it's, it's almost an, an right. unbearable experience. But this dog provides them comfort. And so they're able to travel with their family and live somewhat of a normal life. Right. I don't See, want to punish that person because there's these idiots that right. are just. But, but my guess thing. is, no, and thanks for the call, Jason. Here, here is my guess. And I'm, I'm just, again, you, you're never going to be able to verify it one way or the other. My guess is the vast majority of people who are, are traveling with the emotional support animal aren't the people who are, are paralyzed and, and really can't fly otherwise. It's more like, well, I want to figure out a way to get Fluffy from point A to point B, and I like having Fluffy with me, and I don't want to have to pay for a ticket, and I don't want Fluffy to have to be in, in the cage or in, in the crater in the cage. So here, I, I'm just going to go find my Dr. Feelgood who says, well, you, you need it to provide comfort when you fly. My guess is this is an incredibly abused thing because, to your point, there are no standards. Standards that are out there. There are no standards. It's it's one thing. All right, if, if you've got that service dog, okay, you've got a certificate. Your service dog has been trained for that. I will bet you all the money in my wallet versus all the money in my producer Gru's wallet that this woman who got on this flight that I was on last week, and there's, I suspect there's a lot more money in my wallet than there is in Gru's wallet. And he says, definitely, because you got no money in your wallet. I, I mean, I will bet you dollars to donuts that this, this lady had never seen a psychiatrist or anything like that, that there was no official diagnosis. Her husband's even saying, yeah, yeah, we found this guy on the Internet that you send this information off, and, and then they send it back to you. 
Courtney in Mequon. Courtney, you're on WTMJ. Hi there. Hi, Courtney. Um, I'm, a, I'm a professional trainer, so I just wanted to give uh, my input on it. Sure. So I really liked what Jason had to say. He had some great insight about it because it's these people that are abusing the laws. Um, so I'm a professional trainer, so I make sure these dogs, the ES, ESAs, are up to date. Um, so what I do is I it can the training lasts anywhere from 12 weeks to a year, and I'm actually making sure that these emotional support animals or these pets are up to date on their standards. So this does not happen. Right. So so in other words, I mean, look, because my guess is Courtney, the vast majority of these people who are getting on the planes again with what they're calling emotional support animals aren't animals that have been through what you're talking about. This you know a year long training thing. It's just it's the pet. And, yes, the pet provides them comfort, but they don't have any specific training. All pets provide comfort to people, I would imagine. Yeah, of course. And um, I really like to alliterate that to my clients that emotional support animals are just pets. They're pets. They are not service animals. Service animals are cats trained, specially trained for years um, to do these things. So, yeah, I do agree. I would say about 60 to 70 percent of the people traveling with these pets are just trying to fake it because you know that it can be free to get on the plane with a yeah. pet, um, which is awesome. I'm a service dog user. I have been for over five years. Um, my dogs are highly trained. And the amount of times I've been to the airport and have been lunged at or barked at by these emotional support animals and vets has been ridiculous. Right. It really is. Yeah, I mean, no, th- exactly. And, and see, I guess that, that's my point. I, mean, I, have a, I have a text that kind of makes this point that you're saying. Somebody says, Jeff, I suffer from PTSD, panic and anxiety attacks. I have a psychiatric service dog who is extensively trained in all sorts of surroundings. Emotional support animals have little or no training and should not absolutely not be allowed to have free range. I flew once with my service dog on a flight with two other quote unquote emotional support dogs who were obnoxious the entire flight. Yeah, I, I mean, look, see, and I think that's that's the answer. I appreciate that there are people who have legitimate medical conditions who who might need the, the the animal to rely on them but that's what it is you're talking about really a psychiatric service dog not this is my pet and i'm nervous flying or i'm apprehensive flying so here i'm going to go on the internet i'm going to send the 75 dollars off i'm going to fill out four questions and then i'm going to get this letter which is what again the people that were on the flight the other day had and, and i'm going to be able to just bring my dog on for free and i'm going to let my dog sit in the lap well okay Okay, that would make it that would make it all a lot easier. But you know, what about the people that are allergic to pets? What about the the dog? Like what happened, you know, in the airport in Portland? What about the dog, the pit bull that ended up biting the the, the little girl because it was in an environment where it really shouldn't have been? This it, look, it's a huge, huge scam that has developed. I agree with Courtney. My guess is. A vast majority, now she was saying 60 to 70% of the people, they, they don't need the dog or they don't need the animal in the sense that we're talking about. They're just trying to get the free flight. It needs to be cracked down on. And what the government needs to do is they need to set standards and say, look, if you're going to fly on these airplanes, what has to happen is it has to be an emotional, it has to be a, a service dog. And then you can have psychiatric service dogs, but they have to be trained, not this idea that, well, okay, this is just my pet. It's comfortable because this stuff is going to be happening more and more and more. 127, Jeff Wagner.
Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We have our winner, right, Groom? We have our winner of the pair of tickets that we are giving away to see Gaelic Storm Saturday, March 9th. Keep listening. We're going to have more pairs of tickets to give away both today and tomorrow. So if you didn't win this time, you'll have many more opportunities. They are performing at the Riverside Theater as part of Milwaukee's great St. Patrick's Day tradition. Check it out. Okay. Elections have consequences. We, we say that a lot for people on the left who are upset with Donald Trump being president. Elections have consequences for people who are not happy with the fact that Governor Walker is no longer Governor Walker. Elections have consequences, and we are starting to see this. Governor Tony Evers is rolling out his his budget. And as happens with both Republicans and Democrat Democratic governors, the, the budget process is often used to cram in every sort of non-budget idea that you can possibly think of. Here, we want to do this, we want to do that. And almost any government policy is going to have sort of some financial impact. So this is kind of like Tony Evers' wish list. Now, I understand, before we go too far around the bend here, you really, in many respects, don't need to be too worried about this because... Many of Evers' really bad ideas aren't going to happen because you've got a Republican-controlled legislature that's going to write the budget, and so Evers is going to be able to have veto power, but the really bad ideas aren't aren't going to get through. Well, here's one of the ideas, and we shouldn't be surprised about this because, to his credit, he talked about this during the campaign. In his budget address tonight, Tony Evers will be announcing that under his budget proposal – People in this country illegally, people in Wisconsin illegally, undocumented folks, as he describes them, because I'm looking at the text from his speech, he is announcing tonight that undocumented folks, his phrase, will be eligible to receive driver's licenses and ID cards. He says this makes our roads safer, our community safer, and helps strengthen our economy and Wisconsin's families. So taking people that are in the country illegally and essentially endorsing that presence by giving them driver's licenses in the view of Tony Evers makes the roads and the community safer, helps strengthen our economy, and helps strengthen Wisconsin families. Now, this this is an idea that, of course, has been pushed by some of the, you know, illegal, alien, undocumented individuals' rights for the longest time. The estimate is right now that maybe there's about, in the neighborhood of 30,000 people who are in the state illegally who are driving, even though they don't have a valid driver's license, because they're not in the country illegally in the first place. All right, let's open up the phone lines, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I understand that we've got issues with immigration. I, I get it, and I think we, we need to figure out ways to take people who have been in this country for a long period of time and maybe figure out a way to, to let them stay. But until that day happens, I think it is crazy 
to give driver's licenses, which essentially legitimize your presence in the state and in the country for to people who are in the country illegally. And as far as, well, we're going to give people these ID cards and we're going to give them the driver's licenses, and that's going to help them with employment. Well, last time I checked, you know, you weren't supposed to be able to legally work so what what's going on with that? 414-799-1620, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Here's a sample of some of the text. As Tony says, so does this mean that illegal immigrants can now vote because they have an ID? Well, it means it's easier for illegal immigrants to vote because now they have an official Wisconsin driver's license. Another text, this is from Joe. I have no idea how this can be allowed, Jeff. You have so many things to prove that you who you are just to get your license renewed. That's right. Here's another text. Uh, who's going to make sure these people in the country illegally all have car insurance? It's the law in Wisconsin number of people are asking that. Well, right, yeah, I mean, yeah, yes. Yeah. So the, the idea, here's the idea, and, and this is this is the thought process behind it. People are violating the law. You've got 30-plus thousand people that are in this country illegally, the, in this state illegally, who are driving. They don't have licenses. So here's the idea. Well, let, let's just... Let's just give them licenses. And that means that maybe they're going to be inclined to go out and get insurance. I mean, really? I mean, seriously? No, I, I guess... If I was an insurance agent, one of the first questions that I would be asking in deciding whether I wanted to insure somebody is, are you in this country legally? I mean, I'm just saying that would be a question that I would end up having. But, yeah, that's, to me, the the biggest problem. If you're in the country illegally, no, I don't think you should have a driver's license because that is essentially an official government affirmation of your existence and this idea that well it's going to strengthen employers because it's going to make it easier for people to get to work well you're not supposed to be working if you're in this country or this state illegally in the first place 414-799-1620 let's talk to patrick in fond du lac patrick hello good afternoon hi patrick uh so a couple years ago, I was actually rear-ended by someone who didn't have a driver's license, probably here illegally. They thought that, you know, whatever picture they had was their driver's license. And even with that experience in my um, wheelhouse, so to speak, I think this is a terrible idea. They shouldn't be allowed to have a driver's license. And uh, if we're going to be going to a photo ID for voting, then that throws that idea out the window as well. And it's just, it's really bad and they just they shouldn't have it. Well, well, right. I mean, I see I, exactly. I mean, this this idea that you, you have behavior which is illegal. You're not allowed to be in this country legalized legally. Why why would we legitimize this in any way, shape, or form? And if and by giving drivers licenses, to me that that's a huge huge step towards that direction because it now says okay well you'll know, get behind the wheel of the car and, and drive and like in your situation all right you you have people who don't have the same degree of accountability because they don't have the ties to the state or the country that somebody would have if you were a citizen or a legal resident of the country yep exactly and um i just i I don't see how that it would improve or incentivize them to uh, go out and become a citizen. Well, no, they, they, well, no, it, it, it clearly wouldn't. I mean, it, it clearly wouldn't. I mean, and here would be my question, for example, and, and let's say you, you did this. 
All right, well, driver's licenses are our public records. How would the people, how would Tony Evers feel? Does this now mean that immigration should be able, since driver's licenses are public records, should we be able to have a cross-check? Should we be able to, I don't know, run the list of uh, people who have Wisconsin driver's licenses versus lists of people that we know to be in the country legally? Should we be able to use this as an enforcement measure? And if not, why not? I mean, if it's a public record, for example, you know, who has driver's license in the state, shouldn't we be able to use that for any purpose, like perhaps identifying who who the people are in this state that are in the country, in the state who are, who have driver's licenses, licenses who are in the state illegally. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Mike in Bayview. Mike, you're on WTMJ. You know, I I, I agree with you a hundred percent with this insurance stuff. You know that, that you know, Wisconsin has not been able ever since we became they say uh, an insurance state. They haven't been able to grasp this. You know, first of all, you know, there's so many people here. Are driving without uh, you know insurances? It's unreal. Right. And then and then to top it off, you know, if somebody if one if if, if one of the uh, the people from uh, from uh, illegal or you know what do you want to say your your immigrants come here, they get a license and they turn on to have a bad accident. Well, so what happens? Okay, I'm going to pick up and go. I'm back on the other side of the border. You know, I mean, and, you know, the granite. You know that you know that. Uh, Right. I just think that's what's going to happen. I really do. No, I, I, I mean, I, I do too. Thanks for calling. And, and it's just going to inspire more people to want to get behind the wheel. Now, I'm looking at the study. There's this liberal group um, that, that's out there. Let's see a new. I'm looking at the story. New report released by Kids Forward, a liberal leaning research organization, says that Wisconsin drivers without car insurance would decrease by about twenty eight thousand if lawmakers allowing people in this country illegally to obtain licenses. Because the assumption is, if you're in this country illegally, you're driving anyways. You don't care about the laws with regard to you know coming here in the first place. So you're gonna. I mean, the argument is you're gonna drive regardless. So, you know, you don't care about the law. You're going to drive regardless. And so if you have a license, you're then going to go out and you're going to get insurance. I mean, this is nuts. I mean, it's absolutely nuts. So you can get the driver's license. You're in this country illegally. So now you're going to run out and you're going to pay to get car insurance. Well, maybe a handful of people might do that. But, you know, any appreciable number or 95% of the people that are in this country illegally? No. Now, I understand the argument behind this is essentially we're going to throw up our hands. We've got tens of thousands of people who are in this state illegally. They're already, they're driving. They don't care about the law. They're driving anyway. So why don't we just legitimize it? Well, okay, my response would be, why don't we crack down on these people? Now, again, if you want to change the immigration laws, I'm, I'm up for that. Let's have that discussion. But right now, I don't see any reason at all to give people who are in this country illegally access to driver's licenses, which, if anything, might make it more difficult to catch them, might make it more difficult for them to, uh, might make it easier for them to do other things, including voting. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Ken in Germantown. Hi, Ken. Hi. Um, I just got a question. If if I went to the ACLU, would they file a lawsuit for me? Because I have to produce a birth certificate and other documentation to renew my plates, renew my license. Why wouldn't they? 
that's I'm I'm discriminated against. Well, yeah, I mean, they, well, I mean, join the club. No, th- thanks for calling. I mean, I get that. That's that. That's it. The argument would be, and again, look, I understand this is one of these sort of pie in the sky liberal ideas of, oh, doesn't this sound good? Because we have people here; they are violating the law, and and they're driving anyways. So what we need to do is, if if we can allow them to now legally drive, even though they're not legally in this country, what that'll mean is it'll mean and make it easier for them to get to their places of work, even though they're not legally allowed to work, and they're all going to pay for automobile insurance, so this is going to be wonderful, and we're not going to have all those problems. Well, okay, just wait. This normalizes what is this illegal behavior, and it's why it's such, in my opinion, a, a bad idea. Let's talk to Donald in Brookfield. Hi, Donald. Hi, thanks for having me on. Thanks for calling. I guess you had made mention of it, but what about voting? Voting. To be able to register to vote, you just need a government-issued ID. Now every illegal alien that gets a driver's license will have a government-issued ID. Mm-hmm. And like you said, they don't care about the law, so they don't mind if they illegally vote. Well, they'll be able to register and they'll be able to vote. Well, I mean, or at least you're a step closer. Now you do have to show some other information as well, but you're now a step closer to that. You're also a step closer. Once you have a driver's license, it opens up the door for all sorts of things. You can go and you can you can have your bank accounts. You can do all those different types of things. And I guess my question is, should we be encouraging what this is really doing is it is encouraging and normalizing people who are in this country illegally and we're doing it you know without changing the immigration system and i guess i just don't think that's the way to go about it so uh, th- thanks to call and, and by the way i mean a, a couple of people are suggesting a text i'm getting saying well okay maybe this would be a good way for us to know who the people are that are in this country illegally and where they are, because then we'll have this information. I guarantee you, I guarantee you that if this were to pass, and it's not, the Republicans in the legislature aren't going to touch this with a 10-foot pole. But if it were to pass, I guarantee you there would be limits that would prevent, I mean, the sharing of information. Because this that would be Tony Evers' idea. Tony Evers would be appalled if people could come in, get driver's licenses, um, when they're in this country illegally, and then immigration officials or law enforcement officials could find out about it. I mean, the groups would go absolutely nuts if that ended up happening. Bottom line is, elections have consequences. That's why, at least in my opinion, it's good that we have a balance of power here, because Tony Evers can propose it. I don't see any way Republicans in the either the Assembly or the State Senate are going to go along with this. And you know what? I'm glad they are not. It's 154, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. There's going to be many items in the governor's budget proposal. And like I say, the, the budget proposal, it's not really just budget stuff. It's what you're going to see in this proposal that's going to roll out tonight is pretty much every every discredited lefty idea that's been floating around for the last eight years. Speaker of the uh, St- Senate, leader of the Senate, described it as being unserious. Um, he's got things like Evers wants to spend 1.4 B as in billion dollars more for public schools. 1.4 billion dollars. At the same time, he wants to screw over voucher schools by limiting the enrollment. No more new kids can go into voucher schools. We talked about that yesterday. Well, okay, that's 
it would be fair to say unserious, as if as in like something that's not going to happen. He's not unserious in that this is this is his worldview. Evers like, oh, I don't know where we're going to get one point four billion dollars, but let's get it. Don't know what he's going to do when it comes to road spending, other than the fact that he is deeply in bed with the special interests that want to spend anything and everything with regard to roads. And he's already come out and said, okay, well, I'm, I'm open to various taxes. Don't know if he's going to have that in there. He's uh, going to be doing other things as well, including... Um, you know, dealing with, I, I don't want the legislature to draw political lines anymore. Like I say, most, if not all of this stuff is going nowhere. What's going to happen is you're going to have the Joint Finance Committee that's overwhelmingly controlled by Republicans. They're going to come out with a budget over the course of the next couple months that my guess is has very little in relation to whatever Tony Evers talks about tonight. And then Tony Evers gets to use his veto power to try to reshape the budget. There are some limits as to how to do this. But elections do have consequences, and this is what goes on with divided government. You have a governor who is willing to now put up front every sort of discredited idea that's been like locked up in a closet for the last eight years. Now that closet door is open, and you've got the clown car that is just running around, and the clowns are springing out. Hopefully the legislature will rein this in. It's 158. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620 to talk on the show. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Gru, who's producing the show today and always, which team is going to have the bigger regret down the road? The San Diego Padres, who signed Manny Machado, to a 10-year deal for $300 million, or the Phillies who signed Bryce Harper to a 13-year deal for $330 million. You think the Phillies are going to have the big... I think they're both going to... I think both of these deals are, are just so incredibly out of whack. And I'm not saying they're not good players and all, but these are long-term deals. I, it, the Philly, and the Phillies are stuck with him because there's no opt-out, there's nothing. So they've... If he gets hurt, if he his play starts to deteriorate once he gets into his 30s, they're still paying out the big bucks. This is crazy. It's been interesting to me because I, I, I'm a big fan of baseball's hot stove league and thing, and, and you, you have all these players. They're even talking about going on strike in a couple of years because they are upset that the the free agent signings have been so slow that this year i mean spring training is already open you've got all these players i mean older players who thought that they were going to really cash in and they haven't signed it and i and and of course they talk about they talk about well look this player is unsigned or that player is unsigned well what what they also the players don't talk about is the amount of of deadwood that ends up on so many different rosters you know the i mean you just look at some of the free agent signings the brewers have made in good faith over the years and you know, paying huge amounts of money to people who grossly underperformed, especially, you know, once they got up there in, in age, the Jeff Supons of the world, for example, to, to pick a name. And so, I mean, it, I, can I fault teams for saying, okay, well, we've got 
some you know, some there's some veteran, some person who's like 32 years old, and you know he wants four years and a stupid amount of money, and we're not sure where he's going to be for those last couple years. We're not sure what can happen. I mean, I don't I don't fault the, the teams at all for this, and I, I, for people who are upset with the system. For players who are upset with the system, all right, three hundred million, three hundred thirty million—it's crazy money. I did, by the way, though, have a. I, I, there was, I just had a life-affirming moment because during the break, I went over to our programming area and we had all these baseballs that say like WTMJ on them. Grew, did you see those? There's all these baseballs, and so I, I don't get involved in these type of things other than I said. This is not something that we're going to be giving out on opening day, for example. No, 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 it's it's not for that. It's okay, that, that's good. I always remember I had just started doing talk radio, and I was working at a station up the dial, and this was, it was opening day 1997. I will never forget, it was, it was April 7th of 1997. It was before Miller Park, so we still had County Stadium. And if, if you were old enough to remember County Stadium, Opening day at County Stadium always, 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 always was an experience because every once in a while you'd get a nice spring day when maybe it was 50 degrees, but more often than not, you got rain, you got snow, you got everything. So you take County Stadium, the outside experience, you throw in people who have been drinking for hours and hours, and you get an interesting crowd. April 7th, 1997, the temperature... It was in the low 30s. Okay, low 30s. There was a 30 mile an hour wind. So the wind chill was about zero. Perfect baseball weather. All right. In what was arguably one of the worst baseball, one of the worst promotions ever since on the old TV show, WKRP in Cincinnati, they tried to drop the turkeys out of the plane thinking that uh, the turkeys could fly. All right, what, what Major League Baseball decided to do, and the Brewers jumped on board, is they decided to give out baseballs, free souvenir baseballs, True Value Hardware sponsored the deal. So no matter how stumbling, fall-down, drunk you were, they gave you a baseball as you went into County Stadium, where it, again, windshield of zero. Okay, so the, the, the game the game starts, and, um, well, to the surprise of no one, as the Brewers start to fall, as, and I, I was doing a radio show at the time. I was not there that day. I was up the dial during the radio show. And we kept getting these reports of all these problems at the baseball game. Well, what could the problem be? Well, surprise follows surprise. You've got 35, 40, 45,000 stone drunk people who are freezing. The team wasn't particularly good, and they were just getting stomped on opening day. So what ends up happening? Here, they started throwing the baseballs. And it wasn't just like you got one or two guys. It was you got, you've got thirty five or 40,000 baseballs, and they were throwing them. At which point in time, I remember the, the announcers, the public address announcer, came on and said, please do not fa- throw baseballs on the playing field. Um, and, of course, then Phil Gardner, who was the manager, they actually made him get on the microphone and beg people to do that. Needless to say, it did not work very well. The Brewers ended up not having to forfeit the game, but it was, it was, you know, one of 
one of the worst. They ended up winning, I think, as I as I recall, but it, it did not go very well at all. So I, when I went back to the programming office and I saw these baseballs, I, that's the only thing I said. I said, I don't get involved in promotions or anything like that. Just tell me what you want us to do. But I did say, these aren't for opening day, are they? Because I just... <laughs> I, and I'm sure maybe things are different at Miller Park, and maybe if they gave away 40,000 baseballs, it would change. But I don't think we need to take that chance. All right. I have avoided going down this route for the t- first two hours of the program because I, I know there's some people that have just had their fill of politics. But there are others who, who can't get enough of it. Yesterday, we talked a bit about the testimony of, of Michael Cohen. Michael Cohen worked for Donald Trump for the better part of a decade. Michael Cohen was an attorney, one of many attorneys that Donald Trump used. Cohen, my impression is, was, and they call him a fixer, he was kind of the sleazy lawyer who did the stuff that you wouldn't ask reputable attorneys to do. Now, I mean, again, that, and that, that says something about Donald Trump, that he would employ somebody like um, Michael Cohen. So Cohen goes yesterday and he has this huge public testimony where he calls Trump a con man and a racist. He, he really, when it comes to, when it, when it comes to substantive criminal matters that could lead to impeachment, I, I don't know that we really, you know, opened any sort of new ground. I, I really don't think that there was anything there. But, you know, Cohen spent hours and hours just dish, dishing the dirt. You know, things about, you know, talking about, you know, comments that Trump had made or things like that. Or, you know, he had me write letters to, you know, his you know high school and to his college telling him that, you know, we're threatening him if you release grades, things like that. I mean, it was the type of it was the type of like dirt and dish and gossip. That does, in fact, you know, make make you look bad. I mean, and, and to that extent, I think Cohen knows where the bodies are buried. I, I know one of the big questions people have been having is, do you believe Michael Cohen or not? And I will tell you, I think, you know, for most stuff, my tendency is probably to to believe him. I mean, I think he is. Is he a convicted liar? Yes. Is he a sleazy guy? Yeah. But I mean, my, my guess is he probably you know, was involved in some of these conversations. He was like a bad guy for Donald Trump. He was like a bag man for Donald Trump, and he clearly has an axe to grind, and he was was grinding it. Now, I think after having listened to a large portion of his testimony, and I admit it, it kind of got repetitive after a while, and I, I, I kind of got done with it. The Republicans, essentially, I don't know that I thought that they did anything to harm the, the underlying story that he was telling. You know, did they paint him as a sleazeball? Yes. Is he a sleazeball? Absolutely. Is he a convicted perjurer? Yes, he is. But I, I don't know that there were any, like, substantive areas where they damaged his testimony. At the end of the day, though, I guess the question becomes, is any of this going to matter? And that's where I want to start our discussion. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Yes, this stuff makes, I think, you know, Donald Trump look look bad. At the same time, does this matter? Is this going to affect one person's vote? And in particular, does Michael Cohn and his testimony, does it make it any more likely or less likely that Donald Trump is going to be reelected if he runs again. 
is all this stuff and the impressions about Trump and the fact that, you know, on a personal level, he might not be the best type of human being. He might be a horrible human being. Is is this all baked into things now? Do people care about what Michael Cohn had to say? Is this going to affect people's votes? I'll tell you where I come down on this, but I'm very curious as to how you feel. 414-799-1620. This is Jeff Wagner. We're back with your calls in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner, Drew, who's producing the show. Do you know what WKRP in Cincinnati is? Do you, you don't. Okay. All right, I have to apologize. I, I've got a number of emails, uh, texts. We're going to get to the topic in just a minute, but I want to clear this up. One of the greatest shows ever, and if you are in radio, you got to know about it. It's a show called WKRP in Cincinnati. It ran for three or four years back in the 80s. Lonnie Anderson was, was part of it. That's where she got started. And anybody in radio of a certain age, you just, you just adore WKRP in Cincinnati. Their classic episode, first year, was about a ra- their radio station, and they did this promotion where they flew over a parking lot, and they were, like, giving away turkeys, but they threw turkeys out of a plane or a helicopter or something, and, of course, turkeys don't fly, and the way the thing ends is the station manager comes back and says, God is my witness. I thought turkeys could fly. That was the reference that I was making to bad radio promotions. No, it didn't happen. It just happened in fiction, but... If you grew up like I did watching WKRP in Cincinnati, you're always thinking of these things. Okay, so let's switch gears. Much more serious. Michael Cohn testifies yesterday. He paints President Trump in an extremely unfavorable and unflattering way. I don't know that it really covered any sort of new ground at all. What is the impact of Cohn's testimony going to be, if any? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Dan on the south side. Hi, Dan. Hey, uh, hey, how are you doing? Good. What do you think? Well, I agree with you on one thing. Um, I'm an independent person, you know, and I will not vote for Donald. And unless it's a good Democrat, I'm not going to vote like I didn't, like I did uh, two years ago. I didn't vote. On the other part, here's the thing. The Republicans, the Republicans, all they went after was Mike Cohen, and yes, he, he lied, he did all this, but they didn't ask any question about Trump. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what do you get from that? What do you, I mean, they didn't, they really didn't, that's what they came for. Why didn't they ask any questions? Well, because I, I think that I, I think that they didn't have any ammunition to try to undercut Cohen's story. I mean, other than try to paint him as what he is, which is a convicted perjurer and a liar. But as far as the facts, they didn't. Hey, I want to go back to something you said at the beginning. Okay, you, you said you're not going to vote for Trump, period, right? Correct. Okay, what if? What if the Democrats nominate somebody who is just a complete Looney lefty. I mean, you know, one of these people who buys into the whole Green New Deal and we want to turn America into socialism and stuff like that. You, what, what would you do in that case? I'm, uh, Jeff, I'm telling you right now, I cannot stand Bernie. I cannot stand right? a couple of Elizabeth Warren. Right. I, I don't believe in her. I don't believe their message. I don't right? believe in it. Okay, so what do you do? What If the Republicans nominate Trump and the Democrats nominate Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, what do you on the I, South Side I, do, I, Dan? I don't, I don't vote. I'm sorry. You don't I vote. Okay. Well, the reason is, how can you vote for stuff that you know that ain't going to get done? Um, I mean... Okay, no, all right, thank, thanks for I mean, I, I see, I, I, I throw that out because th- this is, by the way, something we're going to be discussing over the course of the next year and a half. It, you know, people will say to me, Jeff, do you think President Trump can be reelected? And my answer is, I don't know. Now, 
I, I, I didn't think he was going to be elected in the first place, but I did not realize the the depth of dislike that this country had for Hillary Clinton. I, I, I didn't. But this is a different dynamic. At the same time, I mean, I, I, the reason I don't know is if the Democrats nominate a, a moderate center-left Democrat, I think Donald Trump's going to have a very, very hard time getting reelected. If, on the other hand, you go to the loony left and you have some of these people that want to talk about fundamentally changing American society, and yes, let's take, you know, $70 trillion and implement this green plan, and let's do away with airplanes, and let's guarantee income for all, and let's take away all insurance from people. If you do that, yeah, I, I think Trump has an opportunity to win. So I, the answer is I don't know one way or the other. Mark and Racine. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, how are you today? What? I'm fine. What do you think? Uh, your question is, did it affect... Will it affect... Yeah, will it affect anything? Will it make any difference? I don't believe so. I think people are pretty much stuck in their grooves right now. But I did want to mention, I think the senators, should, uh, Republican senators, should have bashed harder on those checks. Because basically, Cohen was saying, you got to take my word that those checks are retribution for Stormy Daniels. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, your word doesn't mean anything to anybody, dude. I would have hammered on him a lot harder about that. Yeah, except, I guess, all right, Just don't you think that's what the money probably was for? You know what, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, sir, no, I mean, I, I mean, th- thanks for calling. See, and let me just be real clear here. I, I don't, it, it is very much up in the air as to whether or not, that that would be a crime. As a matter of fact, I think the majority, I, I understand that Michael Cohen pled guilty to campaign finance violations in connection with that. But I, I would say the majority of legal experts, and you can have people on both sides, don't believe that that is a crime. I mean, you know, here, here, here's, here's the deal. When you're running for office, okay, there's, there's many things that you can do that there, there's multiple reasons for you to do them. Is it to further the campaign? Is it because I don't want my wife finding out that I, I had had an affair with somebody? There's all those different reasons that are out there. And for it to be a campaign finance violation, what you have to do is you have to have prove that it was exclusively, essentially, for the purpose of, you know, campaign related things. And, and if there's multiple, I again, I'm just saying that I think it's, it's very much up in the air, regardless of what those checks were for. It's very much up in the air whether there was actually a crime that would be committed, a campaign finance violation. I, I will say the larger point, though, the whole thing, and it's just kind of like when they talk about with Watergate, where it's it's the cover-up that gets you. I, I've, I've said this before. This whole thing, I mean, Donald Trump, I was watching a thing on Donald Trump. A&E, for the last three nights, has had this, this kind of history of Donald Trump, and, you know, they trace his business dealings and stuff. All right, Donald Trump positioned himself his entire life. His image was built in part around, I am the Donald. I, I am this billionaire playboy that's running the, the streets, and I'm with all these beautiful women, etc., etc. That is That is his whole image that is out there. One of the silliest things to me about all of this is that if prior to the 2016 election, this porno film star comes out and says, I had a one-night stand with Donald Trump. I, who cares? I don't believe that one person would have changed their vote one way or the other because of that. Because my guess is that over his lifetime, Donald Trump probably had one-night stands with 
lots and lots of women. That was certainly the image that he was trying to convey. Let's talk to Bill and Racine. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Oh, hi. I I really think it comes down to, I don't think anybody likes Colin. I don't think many people like Trump, but I, I can tell there's a world of difference between the first Trump that came out and with Twitter every night, and now he's smiled, but he's held back a lot of what he would normally say. But in any case, when it comes down to it in the end, uh, I think it comes down to this can all be forgotten about mm-hmm. for, the, for the most part. Yeah, I mean, no, thanks for calling. I guess I see that's kind of my take. Look, I I don't think this is going to change hearts or minds. It's obviously got to be embarrassing. It's it's nothing that anybody should be proud of, and I think it reflects on Donald Trump's character. But people know know who Donald Trump is. At the end of the day, if Trump is the Republican nominee, and I, for one, I'm hoping there's a Republican that challenges him that raises some of these issues. At the end of the day, though, if Donald Trump is the Republican nominee, what's going to happen, whether he's reelected, is going to depend on a couple things, starting with who the Democrat is that's running against him and with how the economy is doing. It's 229. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I'm looking at the long-range forecast because my my goal this year is I'm trying to be more of a glasses-half-full guy. So I'm looking at the 10-day forecast because this this is, it is March, and I understand you get some cold weather in March and stuff. Lord knows I've lived here most of my life. But all right, so here's the deal. Next couple of days, like right now, it's 25 degrees, and uh, by Friday, it's supposed to be up to 31 and then the bottom kind of falls out. Saturday, yeah, high 28, low 12. Sunday, the bottom really falls out, low minus 6. Not much better on Monday. Not really much better on Tuesday. Not much better on Wednesday. Long-range forecast, and against the long-range forecast, uh, finally up to about 25 on Thursday. And then, then a week from tomorrow, let's see, maybe 29 degrees. Bottom line is... There's there's no day in the next 10-day forecast where it's supposed to be above freezing. No day where it is supposed to be above freezing as the endless winter simply continues. Hey, um, this week's Home Improvement Spring Showcase is brought to you by Hometown Windows and Doors. That's hometown with an E for your every window and door need. All right, everybody knows about what's been going on in Virginia. And interestingly enough, th- there's really been no... No more fallout from this. This is one of the interesting things that happens when it's a scandal involving the the left, not necessarily a scandal involving the right. You've got the governor of Virginia who um, his medical school yearbook shows him presumably dressed as blackface in blackface. Remember that whole controversy? First he apologized for it, then he said it wasn't him. That one's kind of gone away. The lieutenant governor has been accused by multiple women of being a rapist. All right, that that's kind of gone away. The attorney general, who's a Democrat, he's got a, a huge problem with blackface as well. But again, it's now kind of drifted off the radar screen in part because, well, you know, when when you're on the left, you you never have to say you're sorry. All right, but the controversy involving the Virginia governor has not gone away, and now it is spread to his wife. Here's the story, and I want to get your reaction to it. The it is a tradition in Virginia that the the governor and the governor's wife 
will typically at the end of a, of a state legislative session, what they will do is they will invite all the kids who served as uh, Senate pages, you know, the who like volunteered who were pages during the the state Senate session. They get invited over to the governor's mansion for a tour, and it is traditional that either the governor or the governor's wife, first lady, will will lead the tour. Well, the tour took place February 21st, and again, about 100 young people who had served as pages. And then, now the, the executive mansion in Virginia was built with slave labor in 1813. It's the oldest active governor's residence in the country. The governor's wife, her name is Pam Northam. She's a former middle school teacher. And what she does is, and she said she took groups of pages into an adjacent cottage that had served as a kitchen. So they're, they're leading the tour, and you got these kids. All right, so she takes a group of the, the pages who are there for this tour. She takes them into this separate building that was a kitchen. All right, before a huge fireplace with cooking implements, she held up samples of cotton and tobacco to a group of about 20 kids that were there. And, okay, and this is part of a display that they have in there. And then she turned to the kids, including three African-American pages, and, and she, like, held the, the cotton. And she said, could you imagine what it must be like to pick cotton all day? I cannot for the life of me. Okay, so she says, you know, here, here. And then she apparently passed out the cotton to the kids, the African-American pages and all the other pages that were there. And, you know, the the idea was she was doing this to show them what raw cotton was like and to see, like, how sharp it was, etc. And her point was, can you imagine what these people who were there picking cotton all day had to go through? Right, so she she shows them the raw cotton, and her purpose in doing this again was to try to bring home the fact of you know that this house was built by slaves. This is what people had to do; they had to be in the fields picking cotton all day. All right, in the category perhaps of no good deed goes unpunished, this has become a controversy. Here's the way the Washington Post reports it: A Virginia State employee has complained that her eighth grade daughter was upset during a tour of the governor's reference when the first lady handed raw cotton and said, can you imagine what it must be like to have to pick this crop? All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So you've got this group of kids. They're eighth graders. They've been serving as pages. hundred of them are invited to the governor's residence. They're being toured. They're touring the governor's residence. The first lady of Virginia takes 20 of them over to an adjacent cottage, which is a kitchen. They have tobacco on display. They have cotton on display. She grabs some of the raw cotton and passes it out and says effectively, you know, can you imagine what it must be like for the slaves to have had to pick this every day? And now she is being criticized for this. 414-799-1620. That is the accurate mortgage talk and text line. Look, I have no love lost for the governor of Virginia. He's got his own issues. But my question is, did did the first lady, in this case, did the governor's wife, did she do anything that she should have to apologize for? Three of the kids in this group were African-American. She handed them the cotton. Apparently, according to reports, you know, they passed around the cotton to other people. Did she do anything wrong? 
Was this racist? Was this insensitive? Does this indicate that the governor's wife have learned nothing from the blackface controversy? Or is this much ado about nothing? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, hold on. When we come back, I'll give you my take on this. But I'm curious as to how you react to this. The governor's wife passed out raw cotton to a bunch of kids, including some African-Americans. Is this insensitive with regard to slavery? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I swear, this stuff just makes me absolutely crazy. As I say often, I appreciate that there's real racism in this world. And I think when, when you deal with that racism, you have to confront it. And you have to confront it directly. This, this to me, the governor's wife in Virginia is giving a tour. She takes 20 kids into an adjacent cottage that used to be a kitchen. They've got displays of cotton. They've got displays of tobacco, etc. She takes raw cotton, which is very uncomfortable, passes out to the kids, including some African-American kids, and says, can you imagine what it must have been like to have to pick this all day? And this, this is racism? Really? Terry on the South Side. Terry, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff, I, I got to agree with you. I, I don't think there's any story here at all. I mean, if anything, she's giving them a, a lesson on how horrific it was and and, uh, and probably is sympathetic or empathetic to the plight of, you know, well, right. Right. Yeah. I mean, okay. And, and yes, I understand it was African Americans that, that, you know, were you, it was slaves that were used to do this. But how, how is it racist? How is it offensive to say to the group and including the African American kids and to give them, all right, just feel this cotton. This is what people had to pick. Can you imagine that? You're right. This is being, this is showing empathy. It, it's not, gee, you're going to grow up to be slaves yourself. It's like, this is what happened in the 1800s. Right, I got to say that I, I don't. I, anybody who's got a problem with that is, to me, I got a problem because I don't see it. No, I think I, I mean I don't as well. But this is like a Virginia State employee who, I mean, I'm looking at the letter they sent. This woman sends this letter. She is offended after First Lady Pam Northam handed raw cotton to her and another African American child, and then asked the group to imagine, you know, can you imagine being enslaved and having to pick this crop? Oh, okay, this is a history lesson, for, for goodness sakes. And and this is what you are going to be offended by? Here's a text. Jeff, what's next? Will it be wrong for clothing sales clerk to show cotton shirts? Exaggeration yet, but I, I get uh, the point across. Um, let's see, here's another text. Unfortunately, in this era, there's virtually nothing that's much ado about nothing. She, of all people, should have seen the landmine ahead, yet she stepped on it. Another teaching moment usurped by PC run amok. Here's another text. Jeff, I am literally so tired of everyone be offended about historic facts. I reiterate facts. How are we to expect anyone to have an understanding of anything if they're afraid to touch and feel things that are part of our history? Everything always has to turn into a dramatic, sensitive event instead of calling it what it is, letting the child children touch feel and absorb what a product looks like and then imagine the hard work that went into it um yeah i mean i guess that 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 to me is the notion again this is this is a house that was built in 1813 so it's the oldest existing governor's mansion in the country and so what they've done is they've done these refurbishing and they have all this stuff that's out there 414-799-1620 that is the acunet mortgage talk and text line all right racist robert in milwaukee robert you're in wtmj hello 
Hey, how you doing, Jeff? Good. What do you think? Um, I don't think it was racist what she did. Like I just told you, call screener. I think it was insensitive and, and kind of dumb because she's the first lady of the state of Virginia. She ought to know the history. And common sense should tell her not to pass out cotton to black children whose ancestors you know, were likely picking well, that cotton. Well, tell me why. I mean, she, tell me why. Now, it wasn't just the black children because there, there's black children in the group. There, there's 20 kids. But, what, I mean, tell me why that is insensitive because she says, look, this, can you imagine this? This is what was picked by slaves. Can you imagine how hard and how difficult this would be? What's wrong with that? Okay, what's wrong with it is, see, as a black man and as, as, as black mm-hmm. people, we are reminded of the things that happened in this country, uh, you know, 200 years ago. We're reminded of it all the time. And white America seems to have this, this overall feeling that, oh, you should just get over it. But we can't get over it when it's always being put in our face. Well, I guess see, the way my- this country was built by was by us. Picking that cotton. Well, right, but don't. I, but from an educational standpoint, Robert, Robert, and I'm serious about this. I, I mean, my guess is, though, none of the kids in that room had white, black, you know, brown, whatever. None of them had probably ever, you know, handled raw cotton. I guess what's what's wrong with giving them that product so they understand, gee, what it what it would have been like to have to pick that. Well. What's wrong with it, like I said, for the African-American children who could go home and talk to their parents, whose yeah. grandparents or, or, or earlier ancestors were picking that cotton? Yeah. See, that, that's what's wrong with it. Well, she, she could have talked about it. I mean, yeah. you can yeah. give a lesson on it, but a talk like that to a black child, that's, to me, that's, that's, that's not thinking. Hmm. Okay. As, you see, supposed to be the first lady of the state of Virginia. Yeah. You know, she ought to have more sense than that. That's, that's all I can say. Okay, well, thanks for calling. I mean, I guess well, we're going to have to agree to disagree on that one. I mean, I, I guess I, I, I mean, if anything, it's something that opens a, a dialogue. It's okay. So let's say, let's say you have the the black children the, the that go back and they say, you know, we 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 never handled this raw cotton. I cannot believe what our our ancestors had to do. How could anybody make people do that? And by the way. You know, it wasn't just slaves that picked cotton, but but let's let's stay on that point. I mean, I guess I I think from an educational standpoint, most people and these kids had probably never handled this one way or the other. Her point was to dramatize how difficult this whole thing was. Here, here's the bigger point of this. I I think if we are if we are to understand and appreciate. The horrors of something that happened, like slavery, for example, I, I think you have to expose people to to what it involved. And one thing you can say, well, you know, okay, you, you had to pick cotton, and and maybe for some people that that conjures up interests of happy people in the fields, et cetera, et cetera. Well, once you see what raw cotton is like, and once you see how tough it was, and how hard it was, and and what this would have done to your hands, I think that that would be an, an educational experience. I mean, not unlike visiting a, a museum, and that's actually what the governor's mansion is in many respects. It, it's a museum, you know, reflecting you know past times. I guess I I, I look at this. And my reaction would have been, and maybe this is again, I, I didn't grow up as a black as a black person in America, but my reaction would be this is an educational opportunity. It's a teachable moment. This is what this substance was, as opposed to think, well, you know, that the it's insensitive. I mean, it's it's just factual. This is what ended up happening. And I guess, I mean, where where do you draw the line if you're 
I don't know if if you're a Jewish person that's visiting like the Anne Frank house. Do do we we don't want people to be offended by that, or do we say no? We we want people to understand, you know, the horrors of the Nazi re- regime. We want you to understand history so we don't repeat it again. All right, it is two fifty four. John McCure, Melissa Barkley, and Greg Matzik are on the road. They're at the auto show. How cool is that? And we'll check in with them in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner.